Welcome back, everybody, to The First Step. I'm excited to introduce my guest today, Mike Iskender. He's in Durham, uh, North Carolina. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks so much, Jill. Appreciate it. So we met um, through a powerful soul, Alok, and I got to watch your TED Talk, which was about time travel. And I was so touched by it. I actually brought me to tears with the message that you were bringing to the world. So I invited you to my show to spread your message. And I really love what you're doing. So can you tell us a little bit more um, about who you are and this maybe a little bit about your social emotional learning program? Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for for watching the TEDx talk and feeling what that's about and, you know, relating it to your to yourself and your audience. Um, Yeah. So my name is Mike Iskandar. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. I am the founder of a social emotional learning slash personal development program called Time Travel Journeys. And the idea with this is to guide uh, myself and others on an exploration of the the best of who we were when we were younger, who we want to become when we're older, and how the power of the past and future can uplift and expand and connect who we are today. Awesome. Yeah, I was um, really, I thought just for listeners to kind of fast forward, but I'll definitely link your TED Talk in the text description. And I would encourage everybody to watch it because it's a really uh, powerful message you're sharing. Um, but what I basically you you had decided to for your 40th birthday interview a bunch of people at each age, right? Like one year, two year, three year, four year, up until 40. And what were you, what were the main questions that you were asking these people? Yeah, this was a, this was a fascinating life experiment for me. And this, and this really just started as a personal journey. Um, And with me, you know, seeing age 40 approaching and feeling those feelings that come up uh, when you see age 40 and, and really any milestone age coming and, you know, that question of where did the time go? And I just, I wanted to actually answer that question instead of just uh, say it as a, as a line of regret or, you know, just shrugging my shoulders and um, feel like kind of lamenting how quickly time is passing by. And so I, like you said, I had this idea to, to spend that, that year up until my 40th birthday uh, interviewing 40 people from ages 1 to 40 to connect with who I was at every age of my life so far. And so it was this interesting experience of, you know, wanting to, as far as your question about what questions did I ask, I wanted to find out, you know, what people are going through at each of these ages. But really, I was taking the mindset of what would I ask that version of myself, mm. right? To, to reconnect with, with who I was uh, at each of those ages. So it was really centered on the question of what is it like to be the age that you are? Um, and so it would be, you know, it was questions just around what are your favorite things to do, your hobbies, your passions, your life at school, life with your friends, life with your family, uh, your fears, your worries, the struggles you go through, the dreams that you have moving forward. 
uh, I just wanted to see all of the different aspects of life through the eyes of each of those ages. Um, and, and it was, of course, not exactly me every time, but it was, it became like each of these people that I interviewed became like a portal to back to who I was at each of the ages that I lived. So it really took me back to, uh, to who I was and I would to places that I, I just, I couldn't get to on my own, just sitting and remembering like, Oh, let me just sit and think about age seven or I like, I needed that, that human being to ask these questions to, to like see, uh, you know, I felt like what better way to reconnect to age four, you know, than to sit down and talk with a four-year-old. There's no better expert, right. At like, <laughs> or no better representation of age four and age six and age nine, whatever, than an actual four-year-old, six-year-old and nine-year-old. So, um, yeah, so the questions were really just to, to tap back into what is it like, to be, to be these eight different ages. Wow. Yeah, yeah, this is just such a brilliant idea. And what's coming to mind for me is just uh, actually how similar we all are on our path. Of course, we each have our own individual experience depending on, you know, our unique personality or where we're growing up. But I think it's fascinating to think that we do share at these ages very common experiences. And when I was listening to your TED talk and you were, you know, reminding us that when we're young, I, I think you said between the ages of one and six or something like this, maybe it was when you were talking to the first grader that the qualities that really shine through at the these younger ages are imagination and creativity and curiosity and kindness and playfulness and i thought yeah like it's so true when i'm teaching i teach yoga and when i'm teaching often i'm reminding people to go into their bodies and experience their bodies as they would when they were that age which is so much less inhibited. We have so many less ideas and concepts. We're just playing around. We're just feeling. We're just wondering. We we haven't decided so much. And then when you were talking about you got into the middle school years and you were interviewing people, then it was more fraught with um, this kind of feeling of not liking ourselves and anxiety and depression and and I think this is true for most people that, and I guess this is just the path of life as we go learning, but I think it's fascinating to observe this and bring it to light that, you know, we come into this world with, with this curiosity and playfulness and kind of this simple, clear and free state of mind. And then we accumulate all this pressure, all these expectations and start um, judging ourselves. And I love that you have uh, created this life path to help people at this stage. So do you want to just talk a little bit more around this stage of um, teenagehood or adolescence where this anxiety and depression sets in, because this is where a lot of your program that you've developed um, targets, is it not? Yeah, for sure. And I think it was really important for me to see the contrast of that and to see those younger ages. And 
it was almost like, you know, when you watch a professional athlete or musician and you see just like a natural talent, right? And you're just kind of like amazed by how naturally great, and it may have taken a lot of hard work to, to get to that, but what you're seeing is just this amazing natural ability, right? Shining through. And I think when I saw these these younger kids, like the first nine ages, right? Like ages one through nine, it was almost like watching this stage of life, watching these kids that were so naturally good at these qualities that we strive for, that we need more than ever now as adults, and that we struggle to hold on to of, like you said, imagination, creativity, curiosity, playfulness, um, you know, purity, innocence, uh, innovation, right? Like these, uh, these qualities that we want, like these kids were, we, I just could see that inherent, uh, ability to display these, these qualities that are, that are so important for us to have now. And then, um, yeah. And then see that what felt like, you know, cause I'm, I'm looking at life at the, on this accelerated timeline, right. Cause I'm, doing all these years within weeks or months. Um, and then to see that shift and it's, it's almost like, like you talk about there, we're, we're not pretending as much. It's almost like as adults, we can kind of put on a good face and fake it. Um, and with these kids, I could just see the raw expression of the joys they were feeling and then and then the struggles they were going through like these middle school kids when i got to the middle school um they could express they were expressing and i could just see within them the more questions that i asked of the seeing how we learn these traits of self-doubt and insecurity and low self-esteem and fear and anxiety that can even turn into self-hate and depression um and so first it was just like from a sociological perspective and I, I was sociology and journalism major in college. I could just see from a sociology, sociological perspective, just like, whoa, like what happens to us as a species, right? Like from this phase to this phase, we become so different. We have such uh, different mindset and different concerns that pop up. And so I think it was just, um, yeah, just seeing this shift that happens and wondering like why and how do we cope with that? And then as a near 40 year old, like how long have I been holding on to this stuff? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I think I, I, I could see both of the, both sides of it within myself. Like I could see the little kid, the early childhood qualities, and then I could see those middle school insecurities. And it was, like really profound for me to look at, at this and see how long and how intensely have I been holding on to these kind of negative traits that we, we develop and how much have they been overshadowing like the beautiful qualities within me and how long, how much have they been holding me back, right? You talk about limiting beliefs, how long have these beliefs that we develop around this age been limiting my potential not just as a middle schooler, but in the decades since, right? I want to just interject here, and I don't expect you to be able to answer this because maybe it's an impossible question, but 
Do you think this generalized kind of angst and self-loathing is natural to this adolescence? Or do you think that this has more to do with culturally us lacking a transitional, meaningful transitional phase into out of childhood and into adulthood because I've often questioned myself. I'm raising two teenagers there. My son just turned 18. So maybe we consider him an adult now, yeah. but um, it's like, there is nothing for this age in our culture. It just is this kind of phase of, I, I don't know, you know, whereas I think in the past or in other cultures, there was something more integral and meaningful where we invite ourselves to move into adulthood do you do you have any thoughts on that yeah i think it's it's always a blend of you know in terms of nature versus nurture mm -hmm. is kind of what you're asking about um i think culturally yes there are probably cultural norms that create pressure and create like these dynamics between kids and how they treat each other and how we treat ourselves and then i think there's probably some element of uh nature in the sense of the development that we go through in those ages we start to see ourselves differently and question ourselves differently and it's probably there's probably some natural process where we learn to question ourselves or critique ourselves or you know just critical thinking right like <laughs> being applied to to our own existence or our own um yeah, like how we compare to other to other people performance wise or looks wise or there's, there's probably some natural process where you just start to zoom out and see yourself differently and in comparison to others and how you measure up and then combined with cultural norms of, you know, bullying that happens, teasing that happens, social media that makes that facilitates that. Um, you know, I remember I'm. I'm there was one part in the TEDx talk, uh, which you may remember, where I had talked about asking the question about fear, right? And you ask the, the little kids about fears, what's your biggest fear? And they'll say like, you know, monsters or exploding volcanoes or, you know, fears that kind of pass by, right? Like we don't now as adults, like walk around typically with those fears. But then when I asked like the, um, the 11 year old, it was kind of around, being made fun of or bullying. It was then the 13 year olds. I, her, she said her biggest fear is that the people she likes won't like her back. Um, the 14 year old, it was like fear around not being good at tennis and how that reflected on himself and like how it made him hate himself that he wasn't good at this one thing. And um, I just thought like, wow. And these are things that we hold on to, right? Like these are fears that that stick with us. Um, so there was something very profound about like what we what we go through at that at that phase of life and how it sticks. Yeah, and I'm just you know I'm listening to this re reflecting in real time in my own heart and soul, and and it just occurs to me that maybe part of our process of healing and coming back to those qualities of creativity and curiosity and kindness and playfulness in part is 
is allowing ourselves to let go of some of these pressures put on us by, you know, our capitalistic society or competitive society and, and just remembering the things that we love, like why we're here. I think that one of those really impactful, empowering things that we can do for ourselves is, is just to connect with ourselves. I think that's why for me, yoga and mindfulness techniques have been such a beneficial part of my life and why I, you know, I've dedicated my life to teaching them is because I think they allow us to, to connect to that deeper part of ourselves that is there in so obvious in childhood and remember why we're here and to let go of some of those uh, external pressures. And I believe that if we can connect even as adults to that more inner voice, that inner child, that part of us that doesn't change and start to live out our purpose, that that inherently brings us a sense of peace and harmony and joy. So is that kind of your, is that what you kind of also realized? I mean, I, when I'm thinking about this emotional, uh, social emotional learning program that you developed, it, it is kind of what you take children through is it not you kind of ask them who they were when they were younger and who they want to be um, in the future and that somehow creates this feeling of of peace in the present moment yeah and that's kind of the irony of it being a time travel program is that it's, it really is about the present right it's about um strengthening uplifting our present sense of self and it's just the, a different pathway to doing that by using the past and future and so yeah, by going back, I think, and I've been doing this with adults as well. And so, which has been really interesting to um, now work with more and more adults going back to those middle school years. And then, you know, even later middle school and high school, we can go back to those first middle school experiences and see this shift in ourselves. But I think there's um, these two powerful areas of like, yeah, finding that present sense of peace and joy by going back to the joyful parts of ourselves, the inherently joyful parts of ourselves and awakening those qualities. And like, just remembering our, and I think I see this a lot in the adolescents that I work with, like, they're really remembering their capacity to, to be joyful and playful and silly. And like directly asking, you know, a, a 13 year old, like, so what could you learn from that preschool version of you, right? And, and I remember him saying, like, I guess I wouldn't worry so much about what other people think, right? It's like I'm remembering, like, oh, yeah, I am capable of not worrying about what other people think. Um, so there's awakening those joyful parts. And then on a deeper level, and I'm seeing this probably more with the adults that are going back to those tougher years, but also, also with adolescents who are going back to – because it's not all – butterflies and rainbows, right? I'm making big generalizations when I say the magic of early childhood, and that's not the case for everybody and um, certainly not the case for adolescents. But part of the power of this time travel process that I actually want to get more into is that opportunity to go back to the wounded parts of ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And like heal those parts of ourselves. And this is actually how this whole thing started for me. Um, if I can segue into that of like talking about this 
this meditation experience that I had, which I had no plan for this or concept of this until I went into this meditation and saw kind of my wounded 12 year old self. And like, I saw the, the hurt that that kid was feeling. And I remember just kind of like putting my arm around that kid and apologizing for the struggles that he went through for the negative inner voice that quote, I imposed on him. And then second being like, Hey, I remember saying to my 12 year old self, we're going to do it all again. Don't worry. We're going to do it all again. But this time around, I've got your back. And like, what if we could go back to those wounded parts of ourselves that maybe have been holding us back for decades, years or decades, depending on your age and like heal those parts of ourselves. Right. And not think of it as who we are now, but like going back to the root of it and that version of ourselves that felt that pain. And if you can, um, heal the wounded parts while awakening the joyful parts. I think that does have a powerful effect on your present sense of self. And then the, the future side of it, yeah, we can tap into um, really exciting dreams and goals and aspirations. And, you know, with adolescence, I could see this as well, like where they got really excited about who they can become. And I think as adults, we can do that too. Uh, as adolescents, there's this whole world beyond like this, they've got the blinders on during the adolescent years, but gosh, when they would look ahead and look at the college years and then interview a real college student or visit a college campus and then think about like a really cool profession like music production and then bring some kids into a music studio or some kids would shadow a veterinarian or some other dream that they have. And then all of a sudden, like there's so much to look forward to and there's that excitement and optimism Right. And so when you combine healing past wounds, awakening past joys and like tapping into future uh, excitement. Yeah, there's I think there's a really profound effect on profound effect on your present sense of self. I love it. I think this is um, amazing work. It reminds me, do you know who Dr. Gabor Mate is? I don't. He's um, he's a really powerful voice. I mean, not up and coming. He's been around forever, but he, he worked with the homeless and addicted people in downtown Vancouver's East side for, I think over a decade, he's done all kinds of Mm -hmm. uh, work in different areas, palliative care. And, but for a long time now, he's been teaching healing work and he's come up with uh, what he calls the compassionate inquiry process. And I've gone through it um, in a weekend workshop with him and it, it reminds what you're talking about reminds me of, of what he teaches, which at the essence is going back in childhood and becoming really clear about those moments where your needs weren't met and none of us as children have all of our needs met. And like you said, sometimes, you know, it's very acutely not, our needs are not met. And sometimes it's very subtly, our needs are not met, but no uh, child survives childhood without kind of feeling like, something is wrong with them because we're just not perfectly understood by our adults. And if we can go back into our childhood and realize those uh, impactful moments where 
rightly or wrongly, you know, we interpreted that we were not okay, that that how we felt or what we were doing, somehow we got the message that we're not okay. And if we can go back and recognize those moments and realize that was the wrong conclusion, what was actually happening was just that our adults could not understand or were not present or or didn't give us exactly what we needed and recognize that it was a misinterpretation and then start to give ourselves what we needed, which is just being in general seen and heard and reassured and valued and loved and embraced and held in who we are, then that's where really this this compassion and this healing begins because we can recognize that it's our interpretation of those moments that starts to fill us with that kind of um, self-doubt or self-hate wrongly. And, And at any age, I believe it's possible to look back and realize that most of these circumstances are just um, misinterpretations and we impose those ideas on ourselves that we were bad or we were stupid or we were, you know, whatever. And, and if we can start to see clearly that these ideas came from childhood and, and start to tell ourselves what we really needed to hear from the adults that were also not probably intending to make us feel bad, but but also just didn't understand us. Uh, we can really start to develop that compassion, and that's where the healing comes from. And I love it. Reminds me of what you were saying in the very beginning, or maybe it was in our pre-conversation about looking at ourselves at age four or looking at ourselves at the age of 94 and inherently that kind of gives us this this feeling of compassion and understanding because at these ages things are just so simple and and you know we get into this adolescence to 40 and it's so complicated and so much pressure so um yeah just that self-compassion did you want to say more about that um I can't remember. I think that was before we hit record. Yeah, it was before. Yeah. So, um, so first off, uh, one interesting thing that's popping up that you're making me think of is, um, you know, what we are often lacking receiving as kids from our parents, right? Like this, this has opened up a really interesting parent-child dynamic um, opportunity for p- parents and kids to connect. And I've started doing more parent-child work and we'll often like culminate a work with a school by doing a parent-child workshop. And I think the first time I saw it was with a parent, a child was going through this, a a middle schooler, and I would give assignments for like the kids, interview your, you know, parent or caretaker about what you were like um, in your younger years. And one of the, my favorite, you know, uh, testimonials or positive moments, uh, pieces of feedback that I've received in this program was a mom writing me and saying, like, I got to have some conversations with my middle school age son about what he was going through when he was younger and like clearing up some ideas, some negative ideas that he had about himself. And just this one line of her saying, thank you for this opportunity to connect with my boy. 
mm-hmm. um, and to it's like these conversations don't naturally happen, like especially in the teenage years with a parent. Um, and then the other part is just like now that I get parents going through this with their kids or parents going through it on their own, it enables them to go back and remember what it was like, which I think makes us better parents. And I remember a quote from Mr. Rogers saying, like, I think the biggest problem with parents is that we forget what it's like to be these ages, to be kids. And so it's harder to make that connection. I remember one parent going through this and talking about how his son was afraid of thunderstorms, right? And how the natural parental instinct is to say, they're there, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of, right? Don't cry. There's nothing to be afraid of. And then, but when he was able to go back to his younger years and he remembered like how scary thunderstorms can seem through the eyes of a, you know, seven or eight year old. And then he was able to kind of take that different approach of like more compassionate approach of like, yeah, thunderstorms are are pretty scary things, right? Like lightning in the, the sky and the dark clouds and the rain, like, and, you know, he's able to kind of validate those feelings and take a compassionate approach but then also be the adult and say like, but in reality, like it's, you know, thousands and thousands of feet away and we're safe here. And by the, so it was just really interesting to see how it does enable us to improve our parenting by going back and remembering what it was like to be these ages by time traveling back to those younger ages and then being able to take a more compassionate approach. Um, and then, you know, part of this process of compassion that you brought up is like, we were talking about before the call was this idea of, uh, you know, these two huge things I think in the world now in terms of our progress are, you know, the self-compassion that we have, how we treat ourselves and then compassion for others in this world that's become really divisive and full of conflict and bitterness in a lot of ways. Um, and this simple pathway to self-compassion and compassion for others is just, within ourselves, like seeing the four-year-old version of us, right? And seeing the 94-year-old version of us. And like when we think of our four-year-old self and we think of our 94-year-old self, which are part of who we are, um, we can look at ourselves with much more grace and, and gentleness and compassion. And then when we can turn that and see that in each other, right? And we can like, you know, we have this, when there's divisiveness or conflict or whatever, if we can, if we can see the four-year-old and the 94-year-old in each other, like, I think a lot of that animosity melts away. Um, and it's, you know, see, seeing those parts of ourselves and each other um, can give us a different perspective on, could soften the criticism or the, or the conflict that we have with each other and ourselves. Yeah. And for listeners, I'm just going to maybe reiterate some of these things that we've just been talking about and and also maybe share my experience at that weekend with Gabor, because one thing that I just want to reiterate is the importance of doing some of the self-reflection, you know, looking back, this kind of time traveling that you're talking about, because I think most people are carrying the burden of 
the pain of their life and living with it. And just if you are listening, recognizing that there are processes, whether it is this compassionate inquiry process or your time travel process, or, you know, there's many um, programs and processes and pathways, I think, to do this kind of work, but to just do it to gift you give yourself the gift of doing some of this reflection work so that you can peel off some of these this weight that that does weigh on our heart or weigh on our shoulders and i'm just gonna relay what i learned at that weekend because um you're what you're saying is just reminding me of it in that one of the things that was revealed to me from my own memory that was totally buried by the work of Gabor and this compassionate inquiry process where we go back and remember kind of these painful moments in our lives. I had no recollection of this moment at the conscious level until I did this process, but I I was taken back to when I was, I don't know if it was like three or four, but really young, probably one of my first memories. We were in downtown Edmonton, which we had come from a suburb outside of Edmonton for this fancy dinner with my grandma. And probably for the first time, I was seeing this homeless man pushing a grocery cart. And I noticed that he had no shoes and that his feet were blue and swollen and just really, you know, this very sad scene. And I remembered trying to get the attention of one of the adults. I can't remember exactly who it was. And just a very kind of general but vague memory of the adults going like, probably in their love for me and not wanting to, you know, for me to have any kind of traumatic experience, just just kind of shoving me off along like, oh, come on, let's go this way off to our dinner. But deep inside me, part of who I think I always was, I had this really deep calling to to help people i had this ability to see people's pain and be with it and acknowledge it and my adults in wanting to protect me just you know basically washed over this really intense and vital moment for me and i think i was left with this message of kind of like what you see in the way of pain or or this desire to help, it doesn't matter. Just shh, 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 come on, we're going off. I mean, of course it wasn't their intention. This is such a quick moment in time, but it left such a huge impression that this um, inherent kind of drive to help people in pain wasn't important. And as I unpack this, I realized that you know, it was such a powerful recognition or revelation to me to acknowledge this because it allowed me to see that actually who I am, actually this ability to see people's pain and be with it and help is very important. And for however many years I had been in conflict with that because of, again, kind of this misinterpretation of this very quick and maybe what had seemed kind of not like an important moment left a deep impression in my neurological <laughs> unconscious patterns. And by realizing it, it really helped me to to heal that divide in who I was and what I wanted. And then this kind of other pressure or impression that I shouldn't put so much focus there. So, I mean, I relay that story just to 
to help listeners understand that sometimes, you know, it's these really brief but impactful moments in childhood that we don't recognize that are are creating conflict or or trauma in such, you know, strange and unconscious ways. Um, so yeah, I th- that's really powerful. Uh, yeah. It makes me think of like, I feel like leadership positions or, you know, groups of like a board of directors, presidential administrations, uh, leadership teams, like, I think they should all include preschoolers, right? Because like, I think part of what is so interesting with this work is the way it can impact our decision-making. Um, and when we tap back into like, just what would a four-year-old do in this situation or how would they see this situation? Or, and then, you know, sometimes that, uh, groups I'll even bring on a four-year-old, like a, a you know, friend who's four and I'll bring their four-year-old on and like, we'll interview the four-year-old and like get some really profound insights. And of course, for me with the original uh, interviews, um, but just to get that, that mindset, like that mindset you had when you were three, that was just naturally like of concern and compassion. And like, it was this learned societal behavior to, look away right and exactly to, to walk away and, and there's practical reasons why we do that um but as leaders right and change makers like what if we could see the world through the through the eyes of a four-year-old and like tap into that three-year-old perspective you had but with the with the capabilities of an and resources of an adult exactly Yeah. And just, you know, it it makes me think like we are, I think, collectively understanding that the way that we respond to children in those moments really matter. So, you know, what imagine what it would have been like to have an adult say, oh, my gosh, Jill, wow, that's amazing that you have this concern and compassion. It's true. This is this is unfair. This is unjust. Um, We're going to see if there's some way we we can assist this man or you know right now we can't assist this man but i can see that this is really touching your heart and i'm so um proud that you have this love and compassion for other people and maybe you know next week we can come down and and provide some shoes for people who don't have any you know any kind of acknowledgement i think of these things that children are seeing and feeling is mitigating those kind of unconscious messages like ah that doesn't matter what you're feeling is irrelevant and ca- you know that the cause of a lot of our self doubt or inner conflict I think could be mitigated by us as adults just really hearing what children are saying like your example of the thunderstorm you know it's like ah don't worry it's not dangerous like I know it's so loud right like it's really you can feel it right to your bones can't you I know but hey you know what we're safe and I'm here for you and I wouldn't let anything happen to you you know just the way that we speak to children I think um, is so powerful and important. And I think collectively we're realizing um, how important it is to acknowledge and validate 
what children are feeling. And that in and of itself, I think, could mitigate a lot of the pain that we carry into adulthood. And I'm just, I have to say that I think that this kind of healing work, it is really why we're here. And and thank you so much for for fostering it, bringing these things to light. And I, I really believe in this message you're you're sharing. So maybe to kind of move in the direction of wrapping things up, Mike, what 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 has been your your overall takeaway? I mean, I know you at the end of this process, you held uh, a gathering for your 40th birthday and you um, you got all these people that you interviewed together. And did you want to talk about kind of, you know, not the end of your journey, but kind of your biggest takeaways from that project and or anything else you think that might help listeners on their journey? Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to capture the one of, <clears throat> one of the big takeaways or some of the big takeaways of this journey and this work. So yeah, so f- the way the 40 interviews culminated was that on my 40th birthday, I brought, I was the 40th interview and I brought together the most of the the 40 people that I are 39 first 39 people that I had interviewed and they turned the tables and interviewed me about what it was like turning 40. And so the people that I had been interviewing were able to then ask me the questions and I got, you know, having all of these people in this one room, I remember looking out and feeling like I was in a room full of my younger selves, right? Like imagine going to a party with, and the participants of that party, the attendees of that party are your one-year-old self and two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, up to your current age. And then I also had, you know, my, my parents and aunt and uncle and old, you know, coaches and teachers were, were there. And it was almost like they were my future selves, right? So it was like being in this room full of my past and future selves. And I think, what this did and what's really stuck with me is a shift in the idea of community, right? And like community, we typically think of as external, the people around us. And I think I realized then that there is this community within us, right? And we have like all of these versions of ourselves that become resources um, and, you know, sources of wisdom and guidance and, you know, we need a lot of those younger versions of ourselves. And then a lot of those younger versions of ourselves need us for the the healing part of things um, to kind of clear things up with who we are today. Um, and I think the practical takeaway that I've in summing it up in an, in an exercise or activity that I often go back to within myself and that I share with others and take others through is to think of a present challenge that you're going through, right? A current problem or stress or fear or even goal you want to achieve, uh, which we often, you know, ruminate on and get really focused on and get, you know, intensely work on and often with struggle and like, as we search for solutions or answers or progress, the think of what that biggest challenge is, and then to identify like, okay, what what advice would my favorite younger self give me? What advice would that four-year-old version of me give me regarding this challenge? And what advice would my ideal future self give me? And I think this is my, like my inner child and my inner elder. 
And it's really interesting to take people through this and see how different ideas and perspectives come to them from this that they hadn't thought of. Um, I remember a, a middle school girl talking about the biggest challenge she's going through is that her parents are getting a divorce, right? And this has been weighing heavy on her. And she just pictured her like five-year-old self t- telling her to like, let's find, let's, let's find the fun part of this, right? Like now we get two houses and two birthday parties and, you know, two sets of gifts and like, um, and just, it brought out this perspective that she had this playful, innocent perspective that she hadn't thought of. And then she pictured her future self telling her like, don't worry, you got this, it's temporary, be strong. And she shared this in front of like 80 classmates. And I just remember, first of all, just the bravery of that from her, but also like the teachers being like, what? Like she never would have said that as her present self, but she's tapping into this inner wisdom of her younger self and her future self, right? Her inner child and her inner elder. And she's almost like attributing the answers to them, but of course it's, it's her, right? And so I think it's just realizing, expanding our sense of self, right? We have this idea of who we are and it often gets really centered on our present sense of self. And we can expand the idea of who we are to our younger and older versions of us who are full, are, are full of wisdom and answers and insights that we are sitting there that we may not normally think to go to. Um, so I think that's, that's the, the takeaway. Like if I had to give one practical piece of advice from, from this work, you know, to your audience, it's, you know, think of, think of the challenges you're going through now and think of like, what is the inner wisdom of your inner child and inner elder um, that could give you, you know, kind of a different, different solutions to what you're going through today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that, that I think is just that idea of, of redefining self in a way that can uh, support who we are today. I love it. I just love it. Instead of know thyself, it's know thyselves, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's for sure. I mean, I feel very deeply about that, um, that, that understanding ourselves better, that self-awareness, that's definitely what this podcast is about and what um, my life's work is about is just, yeah, expanding our awareness and taking time to do that for ourselves, taking time for reflection, taking time for healing work. And I think that's probably the greatest gift we can all give ourselves, but also how we can make the greatest impact in our world. So I really appreciate this work that you're doing, the message you're sharing. I will absolutely link your TED Talk, which I said is worth watching. I think it's about 16 or 17 minutes. So take some time listeners to to be inspired by Mike's message and I'll also link for any educators I know your program um, is often taught in schools uh, how how people can get in touch with you in the text description and thank you so much for your time Mike and for for listeners for tuning in with us today yeah thank you so much and I'm excited to yeah keep doing work with with schools and and parents and kids and then I've also shifting more into doing uh, team building with companies as a way to compassionately connect with each other. And then I'm really excited 
about this idea I'm birthing of taking just a group of individuals through this process and taking them through like a, a three month time travel journey of like with a, that's really experiential and hands-on and kind of mystical in terms of jumping into challenges and reflections and interactions and a whole other <laughs> bunch of ideas that can make life really interesting and, and redefine how you, how you see yourself and how you connect with others. This is the work that we're here to do, I'm sure, right now, as we look at our planet and everything that's happening. I think there's no other greater um, focus that we all need to have, which is just this healing work. And one of my favorite quotes is from Ram Das that we're all just walking each other home. So, yeah, I commend you for just participating. Oh, I like that. Yeah, participating <laughs> yeah. in that. Um, just we're, we're all here to help ourselves I think uh, reflect that we're here to find that self-love and healing and yeah thank you very much Mike I'll make sure that I I link how people can get in touch with you and and may all beings be happy great thank you so much for your curiosity and for your just really heart-centered work you're doing in this area to help people thank thank you Mike and thanks to listeners have a great day thanks you too